you've got to learn how to divert and distract your mind onto something else. I find the best thing to put my mind on when there's a lot of intense emotion that's going to lead me down the wrong road, focus it on God. Welcome to Life, Love, and Family. Lovers, families, friends, even people at church. Seems like everybody's arguing, they're fighting, bickering often over stupid stuff, things that don't even matter, and they'll even go to the grave over it. Today we're gonna to talk about getting to yes, peacemaking in relationships. Sorrow is a lonely feeling. Unsettled is a painful place. I've lived with both for far too long now. Since Welcome into Life, Love, and Family. Hi, this is Dr. Tim Clinton. It's got to be the stress. Some would say it's the pace, the pressure, the pain of modern day life that's taken over, that's making everybody crazy. And you're right. We're frustrated. We want to fight. We argue. I think some people are just mean. They like conflict. They've learned the power of anger. Well, we're going to talk today about getting to yes, how to do this peacemaking in relationships piece right. Our special guest, Ken Sandy. Ken is the founder and president of Peacemaker Ministries and Relational Wisdom 360. He's been leading that team for more than 30 years. He's authored or co-authored numerous books, including The Peacemaker, which is now translated into 15 different languages. He and his wife, Corlette, have two kids. They live in Billings, Montana. Ken, thanks for stopping by Life, Love, and Family. Thank you, Tim. Ken, as we get started, you've been doing this for a long time, but what do you think it is about modern-day life that just is bringing about so much insanity and conflict between us as people? Well, there's a lot of pressure coming in on us. It's sort of hard to find a place to have peace. We've got our phones buzzing and our computers popping at us, our tablets. I mean, it's just everywhere you go, you see people that are just totally connected, getting all this information just flooded at them, I mean, literally, minute by minute. You just can't get away from it. But really, when you look at relationships today and then you read the Bible, you say, in many ways, nothing's changed. Just being people in relationship causes conflict, causes stress. It's, it's thousands of years old, but we have a lot of new sensations bombarding us with that stress today. As long as we're going to be in relationships, we're going to have a little conflict. We're not going to be at peace with everybody. But Paul does say, as much as in you is, be at peace with all men. I think most listening would say, listen, my relationships are out of control. I could probably use a little bit of wisdom and direction on how to ratchet things back down a little bit. Ken, are you finding that people want that? Is that their desire? Or is it just they don't even have time really to think about it, and so they're just rolling on? I think our first 
you know, automatic reflex when they're stressed in a relationship is to, to wish the other person would change. And, and we spent a lot of our wheels just, if only he would do this, if only she would do this, then be okay. And it's when people realize, you know, I can't control the other person. I, I might intimidate or manipulate a little bit, but I can't make them change. But by God's grace, I can change myself. And that's when I, th- I see things change. When someone says, I'm tired of trying to control other people, but I want to learn how to take every thought, every emotion, every word, every action I have, take it captive to Christ, and do what I can do to have healthy relationships. And the great thing is when someone does that, even if other people don't change, people have more peace in their own heart if they know they're doing the right thing themselves. Ken, in the world of conflict resolution, there are a lot of different perspectives, theories on how to, let's say, get to yes. But you've chosen to anchor yourself in a Christian-based perspective. Tell us about how that came about in your life, why you made such a commitment, and the amazing ministry that God has brought to fruition out of it. It was actually about 33 years ago. I just graduated from law school, and uh, the Lord, in a pretty amazing way, opened my eyes to see that instead of being a litigator, he wanted me to be a peacemaker. So we founded a ministry called Peacemaker Ministries, which uh, is now working all around the world in, as you said, 15 languages. We've seen people apply these principles to uh, massacres in Africa where people were fighting with AK-47s. We've seen churches in the U.S. that have been struggling with sexual misconduct, divorces, business breakdowns, lawsuits, church splits, you name it. We have seen the power of the gospel, the wisdom of God, turn seemingly impossible situations upside down. And it's just really been a thrill to, to be part of that. Now, I've recently stepped away from Peacemaker Ministries, founded a new ministry called Relational Wisdom 360, mm-hmm. and the goal of this ministry is actually to get upstream of conflict. How do we help people develop relational skills to prevent conflict in the first place whenever possible? And that's really been exciting to see, to just help people grow in how they relate to other people and actually avoid those conflicts in the first place. Pretty tense situations. You've been in the middle of them, Ken. Uh, you've looked at the peacemaking side. Now you're on the relationship skills side. Uh, can you help us? Let's just say, hey, it's, it's a listener out there right now. They're in the middle of a, a nightmare. They're trying to figure out what they're going to do. What first two steps do you think they need to start thinking about, Ken, to move in the right direction? There's a beautiful pattern throughout Scripture, Tim, that when people really want to get a human relationship back on the right track, the first and most crucial step is to look up and get the relationship with God on track. Uh, For example, in Philippians 4, Paul is talking to some women fighting and bickering in the church at Philippi, and he says, here's your first step, rejoice in the Lord. I'll say it again. He says it twice, rejoice. And he knows when we have a Godward focus, when our main goal is to please and honor God, It's just like the sunlight just piercing through the fog tent. We suddenly get clarity, we get hope, we get a power and an energy that even if the other person doesn't change, we can be walking on a firm path. So step number one, get your focus on God. Step number two is take responsibility for your contribution to the situation. Years ago, my wife was a child counselor in our school system, and these kids would come in and they'd be talking about all the reasons they had a conflict, always trying to put the blame on the other kid. 
and she had this classic line. She'd look him in the eye as she heard their story, and she'd say, you know, it sounds to me like you are 100% responsible. And she paused at that point, and you could see the panic in their eyes because they thought she was blaming the whole thing on them, but she wasn't. And she finished her sentence. She said, you are 100% responsible for your own choices. That is a liberating conflict, Tim, when people see that no matter what the other person does, I can choose to do the right thing. And number one, it's the best way to start moving toward peace and reconciliation. And number two, even if the other person doesn't respond the way you hope they would, you have a clear conscience. Ken, when you're seeing red and you want somebody to pay for what's going on right now, it's hard to take a deep breath, swallow what you're talking about, and say, okay, God, okay, I'm going to look to you and I'm going to take responsibility here. The truth is my fists are clenched, that anger piece. And Ken, no doubt it takes a little bit of work to get people to say, okay, I can see it now because if we don't take these steps, what's the fruit of let's just hammer it out, let's go to war? Well, it's war and it's desolation, it's disaster, so it is terrible. But you're, you're absolutely right. When we're in the midst of anger, it's overwhelming. And one of the things I've really enjoyed in recent years, Tim, is digging into understanding more about how does the body physiologically, the brain neurologically process anger. I mean, it's overwhelming. The limbic part of our brain, the emotional part does, it just hijacks the whole body. You've got to understand that dynamic. You've got to learn how to divert and distract your mind onto something else. I find the best thing to put my mind on when there's a lot of intense emotion that's going to lead me down the wrong road is, again, focus it on God. I'll, I'll flip on a CD, get my iPhone out, play a, a Christian song that's Christ-centered, God-glorifying. It's amazing. I mean, within 30 seconds, I can just feel the anger dissipating. Again, it's like sun piercing through the clouds. So getting the focus back on God is huge. Another thing, Tim, though, is not waiting until there's a crisis to practice these things. If you practice that Godward focus throughout the day in the little things, here, there, everywhere, then in the midst of a crisis, you've got much more of an automatic response of turning in that direction. It's something we, we practice every day. The little things build up to the big things. You've lived on that peacemaking side where you've stepped right in the middle of all that, but now you see, probably through all these years of wisdom, the importance, the significance of grounding ourselves in healthy relationship. You talk now about the three Ds of relationship. Can you explain that to us? There's three dimensions. We are, God has designed us as three-dimensional creatures in terms of relationship. We are always in relationship with God. We are always in some kind of relationship, even with ourselves. You think about the psalmist who says, Why are you downcast, O my soul? The introspection, understanding himself. And then thirdly, we are in relationship with other people. And what we're doing with our ministry is trying to help people see distinct ways of being aware of God and responding to God consistently, of, of very distinct skills to bring in understanding and reading their own heart, exercising discipline, changing habit patterns, how they relate to themselves, and then very specific skills that are they're unique. To how do I read my neighbor? How do I see the body language? How do I pick up on the tone of voice? How do I see the look in her eye that tells me something significant is happening? And then how do I respond in a way that is ministering to them, loving them, encouraging them? And there's very distinct skills taught throughout Scripture that apply to each of those major dimensions, God, self, and other. Let's talk um, about God 
I think, more clearly to understand his ways. Because, you know, in the Bible, it speaks a lot about God's anger. It's probably one of the most misunderstood emotions in Christianity. It is, and it's one of the most powerful ones also. As you know, Tim, you've dug into this stuff for years. There's different kinds of anger, even from a physiological perspective. There's the intense anger of a fight-flight type thing, and, and there's certain chemicals, hormones coursing through your body right there. They spike real quickly, and then they dissipate real quickly. There's other kinds of hormones that come in with just the little irritations and frustrations, sort of the minor anger of the day. But they tend to build up over the day. They don't dissipate real quickly. So just one little irritation after the other throughout the day builds and builds and builds. And then when Dad comes home at the end of the day and the little five-year-old does some small little thing and Dad just explodes at him, it's because there's been this buildup of tension all day long. I think for us to understand how God made us, physiologically, neurologically, how the fall has actually twisted his perfect design into something that's no longer perfect but twisted, and then how do we appropriate God's grace to turn things back, to redeem the mind he's given us, the body he's given us, the spirit he's given us, so that all those things, again, are taken captive to serve God, not our anger, our jealousy, our bitterness, our resentment. So it's like a state of preparedness, Ken. Yeah. What, what's happening physiologically is I am prepared. I'm getting very focused. Anger focuses me. But like Ephesians 4.26 says, in your anger, you have to discipline yourself to not sin, right? What I do in my anger determines whether or not I sin or I hurt another person. Yeah. Anger is, is a very powerful force designed by God. The Bible even says God has anger. Of course, this is perfectly righteous. It never takes him by surprise. It doesn't get him to do impulsive things like ours does. I always talk to people about anger as like the wind. And sailors who know how to trim a sail and read the weather and have a hand on the tiller, they love the wind. The more wind, the better. They win the race, the America's Cup. But someone who doesn't understand the wind, who can't read the clouds, doesn't see the, the waves coming up, they just get hit by it and capsized by it. So as you said, Tim, it is preparedness. How do I learn to read myself? Ooh, my gut's tightening up. I feel my heart beating a little bit more intensely. My face is tightening up. Ooh, those are all signs something's going on in me. I need to be aware of that, and I need right now to trim the sails a little bit, to change the course a little bit so I don't get capsized. And even anger at how we're being treated or what people you know, do to us can alert us to conditions in our own heart. Are there things that I want so much that I become angry when someone stands in my way? Uh, have these things become idols to me? And it can alert us to the fact that something other than God is the controlling influence in our lives. Ken, I had mentioned earlier in the program about some people, I think, just have a, almost like a propensity towards anger. But in a lot of ways, they've learned the power of anger, the control that goes with it. Do you believe that? Have you seen it? Oh. How does a person get a hold of that? That intimidating piece of their life, you know? They just love to fire it up. It is scary, Tim. You're absolutely right. People have it. It's, it's like a little child throwing a temper tantrum, and mommy immediately does whatever it takes to calm him down. And he's learned a very dangerous lesson that he can control people with his anger. So there's two sides of it. First of all, if I see that in myself, that kind of anger and intensity that I use wrongly to manipulate people is to confess that to God, to confess it to other people, 
and then find help. Dig into you know teaching, whether it's sermons, seminars, books. There's a lot of things out there that tell us how we can learn to understand and, and master those things in ourselves. And, of course, the flip side of it is what if you live with someone like that? You've got a boss or an in-law or a spouse or a child that is, is very angry. And just learning a lot of the techniques there on how do I respond to this rather than just run away or get intimidated by it. Or just get right in the middle of it. Yeah. You know, what's that verse in Proverbs that says, don't make friends with an angry man because if you do, you're going to be ensnared by him. You're going to learn his ways. It's going to become a defining piece for you too is what happens. And Ken, like in a marriage, it, we typically, if we fight, we escalate quickly. People go straight for the juggler because why? They're trying to dig their heels in, in a lot of ways, protect themselves, too. That's so true. One of the great things when you just talk about learning on these things, Tim, is to become more self-aware. How, how do I read myself more accurately? Because we've all said and done things that, you know, within moments afterwards, we regret it because the words we say, the things we do that can be so impulsive and then regrettable. One of the ways that we help people is through our seminars and, all, and blogs on our website is we use video clips where you can see really vivid illustrations of people either giving into their anger and just overwhelming someone else. There's one clip on our website from the movie Fireproof where a man just explodes, yes. pins his wife up to the wall with his verbal you know, his outrage. But then there's some other clips, one's from Cinderella Man with uh, Russell Crowe, another one from a movie called Spanglish beautiful illustrations. Both of those happen to be parents who are in situations where they could have been overcome by anger and could have said and done things that they would deeply regret. But instead, they model incredible self-awareness, incredible self-control, and they turn what could have been a disastrous encounter with one of their children into a, a situation that child will remember the rest of his life. And I know that because I had an experience just like the one from the Russell Crowe movie with my dad when I was 10 years old, and I can remember it decades later how gentle he was with me. Ken, you actually began to walk us through what you describe as the SOG plan. We've been doing this as we've been talking. I'm enjoying it because these are relational skills. The self-awareness piece, this is the SOG, the other awareness piece, and then once again, the God awareness piece. Let's stay with that. Stay right up in that self-awareness. Learn what's happening with you the other awareness pieces and how it's affecting someone else. Let me throw a softball your way, Ken. Everybody listening, somewhere something happened and you were on the receiving end of someone's anger. When they're going off on you, think about what it was like to be on the receiving end for a moment. Ken, walk us through that and how we, as we become self-aware, we need to become more tender or other aware too, as maybe a mom or dad or a spouse or someone else, a friend someone at church. You know, I'll just use an illustration, Tim. I remember one time when my son Jeff was young and he had done something that really irritated me. And I just, in that moment of anger, spoke to him very harshly. And I thank God I, I don't get physically violent, but I, I can speak very sternly. And I suddenly saw a look in his eye of fear. And it just crushed me. I thought, man, I'm scaring this little kid. And, and not in a healthy you know, fear of the Lord kind of way, but this is a fear of dad's anger kind of thing. And just learning to see how I was impacting him forced me to look back at my own heart. You know, why would I, why would I do something that's so hurtful and frightening? And that was really beginning in me and learning how to control my tongue 
control my countenance, my body language, so that when I do engage people, I can send a message, this is important, this is serious, we really need to dig into this, but at the same time not to send it in a way that you know, I'm going to hurt you, I'm going to be mean to you if you don't give in to me. So it's to moderate uh, those emotions, moderate those, those engagements. But part of it was just seeing how I was inf- affecting another person in a way that I did not want to affect him. Ken, learning also insights on how and when to respond and more. Some people just have a problem keeping their mouth shut. Let's just be honest. Controlling or being slow to anger is so important, but some people just want to run away with it. But I think some people are just relationally blind too, Ken. They just haven't learned those skills. You know, Tim, I, I counsel a lot of people that are wrestling with these things. And, you know, like one guy said in, in meetings at the office, he just he has a sort of a sarcastic wit, and he just yeah. sh- shoots out these little one-liners. At least you know where I'm at. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but he, he knows as soon as he shoots out the one-liner, he knows, oh, I shouldn't have said that. He just, you know, within moments. I gave him a very simple technique. I said, you know, Bob, here's what you do. Make sure you never go into a meeting without a cup of coffee or a bottle of water and just make a commitment to yourself that before you open your mouth, you're going to reach out, take that cup of coffee, bring it up to your lips, take a sip, put it down. The, the three or four seconds that you buy will give you time to think, is this really going to be a good thing to say? It, it's amazing. If we will just pause a few seconds we have time to process whether or not this is just an impulsive, flippant, hurtful thing to say or something that's really helpful. And, you know, I also asked him to memorize uh, and meditate on Ephesians 4.29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up that may benefit those who hear. And I said, just make that your filter. And simple things. I mean, that's not rocket science. That's pretty simple but it's changed a lot of his relationships in the office. Ken, as we um, are fighting the time here, I want to really anchor all this back into your commitment, that's to the gospel, our intimate relationship with God. For some, we have a pretty messed up view of God. We often see God through the eyes of our Father, and sometimes that image is not very good, it's not very healthy. He's often viewed as a policeman in the sky waiting to bust me or hammer me, rather than as a loving father. How important, I guess, is our perspective on God here, and how do we get to a place that's more healthy, that'll tender us, uh, to not only see him in our life and how we begin to shape and view others as God's sons and God's daughters, our interactions with them? That gets back to the key to the relational wisdom paradigm we're developing is God awareness. That's the pivotal skill. If we think much on Christ, if we think much what he has done for us, if we think much of the debt that he paid for us, we think much of his love for us while we were yet sinners, still in rebellion, he came and he died for us. And of course, a lot of that, Tim, is being in the Word, is is opening the Bible every day and, and reading about God's love, his majesty, his graciousness, his kindness, just being in awe. I've I've found over the years I would much rather do a mediation with a brand-new Christian who's recently converted and still doesn't even know where the book of Psalms is. He's a baby in the faith, but because he's recently come come into Christ, he is excited. He's like a guy that just won the lottery. I mean, Jesus is everything to him. 
And a person like that is going to be so teachable, so much more inclined to be kind and forgiving. Then you deal with an old saint who's been you know, in the church for 30 years, but the gospel's gotten far off and distant, and he's gotten all meshed up in the rules and the thou shalts, and he becomes a judge. So we've got to continually refresh our memory of who Jesus is, what he's like, what he's done, how much he loves us. There are probably many out there listening, Ken, right now saying, I need some Ken Sandy in whatever he's doing, whatever his ministry is, the Relational Wisdom 360 in my life. Ken, can you tell us a little bit more about what you're doing with Relational Wisdom 360 as we wrap up today's program? Yes, thanks so much, Tim. Well, the first thing I'd say is just come visit our website. It's just rw360.org. stands for Relational Wisdom, rw360.org. The main thing we've got there right now is we've got a lot of blog posts. Every Monday I put out a new post on just some very simple little relational skill. This week it was just on smiling, the power of a smile. It's enormous. Uh, We talk about communication skills, empathy, all those things. And so you can read back on some of those blogs, subscribe to the blog. Every Monday you get a little shot of of relational uh, insight. And then we also do seminars around the country, Tim. That's, that's our main medium right now for the comprehensive teaching. They can look at the map, see where the little flags are, come to one of those. Um, I'm working on a book now and starting to move toward getting things in a video format. Uh, that will be coming down the road. But right now the website's the best place to come. But e- even better than that, what I would say is simply open up the Bible. It is so rich. The gospel itself, the wisdom principles God gives us, All we're really doing with our ministry is sort of organizing those concepts. Our special guest today has been Ken Sandy. Our topic, Getting the Yes, Peacemaking, and Relational Wisdom. Ken, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much, Tim. Pleasure to be here. So if your life's filled with anger, fighting, bickering, you know what? It's time to put an end to that and to change a few things. The Bible speaks a lot about being at peace with God and with others. Let me challenge you today. It starts with a decision. Putting a stake in the ground and saying, okay, we're going to make a change around this house. We're going to have a change in our marriage. We're going to change this whole thing in our life. Let me encourage you, take that first step. If you'd like to learn more about Ken Sandy, his ministry, his resources, and we certainly have a lot of resources available for you, just go up on our website at lifeloveandfamily.net. Again, lifeloveandfamily.net, or you can call toll-free at 855-455-3264. We'd love to hear from you. And by the way, pray for us. Pray that God would continue to lead us, uh, give us wisdom. And if you have a topic or two you'd love to... Uh, see us address, let us know that. Just email me. Go up on the website and say, hey, Dr. Tim, this is what I'm looking for. This is what I like. This is what I appreciate. As always, listen, let God reign and rule in your heart and life. That's what your real peace is. Thanks for listening. Life, love, and family.
Women in Depression. Get confidential help. 1-877-257-9612. Women addicted to alcohol or drugs. Get confidential help. 1-877-257-9612. Women with anxiety or eating disorders, trauma, and PTSD. Get confidential help. Timberline Knowles Residential Treatment Center. 1-877-257-9612 or TimberlineKnowles.com. Dan was so depressed, all he could do was lay in bed. He tried all different kinds of therapy, programs, medications. Nothing worked. But his wife says as soon as she saw the website, uplaceofhope.com, she knew that that was going to be the key to her husband's healing. And it was. Uplaceofhope.com. They don't just treat depression. They treat the whole person. If you've tried everything and you or someone you love needs help with depression, call 888-771-5166 or find out more. Uplaceofhope.com. Com.